Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing on this beautiful morning? How are you guys? Good. All right. Awesome. Thanks for being here, guys. Again, as John said, welcome to Grace. My name is Josiah, and I'm really excited to be up here sharing what God has laid in my heart this week. Uh, That was Sarah Jane Blakemore, and she was talking about the mysteriousness of the adolescent brain. And for those of you that either have teenagers or work with them are like, yes, they are indeed mysterious, right? Uh, She defined adolescence for us that starts at puberty and ends when we gain a stable role in society, right? So it could last a long time, right? It's kind of a a shifty phase of life. We're not really sure exactly when it starts. It's different per person. Um, But it generally means it starts with teenagers. It starts with youth. Roughly middle school and high school is the time of adolescence. And for those of you that don't know, that's my job here at Grace, a part of my job, is I get to work with our students. And before I knew I liked uh, hanging out with students and working with them and pouring into their lives, um, I got invited to go on a trip for the high school I used to go to. Uh, They invited me to be a leader or mentor on the uh, eighth grade trip for the school. And so I was like, yeah, I'd love to go do that. Go be with some of the kids. I actually got to coach some of them with junior high soccer. And so I was like, yeah, I get to know them a little bit more. Go on this awesome trip. Uh, The trip that they go on every year is the theme is like created for freedom, right? So they'd go and see how they were created in God's image and what that means for their life today and also how they're free in that and look at the freedom that we also have here in America. And uh, so I got invited to go on that trip. One of the main things in the places they went to was the Creation Museum. Has anyone seen or heard of the Creation Museum? It's actually, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. Like they, they have all these different rooms talking about basically creation and giving you this really good idea of what it looked like and talking about the questions and stuff that people have about that. An awesome place to go. So that was one of the main places that we went on the first trip. I really loved it. Loved getting to know a lot of the students and talking to them about the creation and how that impacts their life today. A couple years ago, I got invited to go again. And what was unique about this next trip was that we were then going to visit the Ark. Now, does anyone know or have heard of or been to the Ark and stuff, right? Yeah, it's similar to the Creation Museum. And yes, I mean the Ark of Noah, right? So what they did is they created a life-size replica. I actually have a picture. You can throw it up there. Life-size of what this is in real life. They put it up, and now it's a museum. So to give you an idea of what this looks like, so these are people down here on the bottom, and these are those charter buses, and those things aren't small but they look dwarfed next to this, this huge ark that they built. And so we went to the Creation Museum, we got to go to this as well, and it was awesome. They had several floors talking about all the different animals and the, the whole idea and story behind the ark and what that looked like. And my favorite part though, was to see the students in the small group that I was with just like blow up in amazement. I'm like, oh my goodness, did you see this animal? Like, did you see like how they explain some of the water stuff and how this all happened? You're like, man, the God, a part of all that is also the God I believe in today. Like, that's so cool. Like, that was my favorite part to see them just, just go off on how excited they were to see a lot of this stuff and to see God at work, not only there, but in their lives uh, that day. So they were like chattering up a storm and our, we had different times to meet as small groups and they were just like, man, I really like this part and it was so cool to see that God did that and that was awesome to see them really enjoy that part of it and by the last day of our trip it was a couple days trip and usually the last day was our travel day back and we had our our last small group meeting and I was all pumped up I woke up like man this trip is changing these kids lives I get to be a part of that and I'm like okay guys what has God done in your life this week how has he changed your life what are you going to do differently I'm like expecting ready for some more just like whoa yeah this and this and this and they're just like "Eh." 
it was fine, it was okay, right? I was like, what? What happened? You guys were chatterboxes, and now all of a sudden you're like, back to your normal boring teenager self. Like, what happened? You guys were excited. What was going on? Did I say something? Did I forget to shower and smell bad all of a sudden? Which probably wasn't it, because they were probably still figuring that out too. But what did I do? I was like, man, these guys are mysterious. These teenagers, man, what's going on? Come to find out, there was some girl drama that happened the night before, and nothing serious, just some gossip, right? One of the guys uh, talked to one of the other guy's girlfriends, just talked to him, just like, oh, hey, and started talking to him. One of the other guys thought she, he got her number, so he snitched on the other guy, and they were like, oh, he got her number, and the other guy confronted, it was just, it was a mess, right? And that's why they were in a bad mood that morning. And it's like, okay, man, these guys are mysterious. And that trip was starting, me starting to realize how mysterious they were, but also realizing my passion for students as well. Um, and that's who we're gonna talk about today. The next generation. The next generation. And so it's pretty cool. This is actually, the background picture is a picture of a lot of our students here. Um, that's technically our, I guess we're soft launching our new graphic, the top part with an SNM, our new student ministries logo. Um, and so as I said, this is what I get to do here. So I'm really excited to be able to share a part of my passion today. But what we're gonna be talking about is our role in the next generation. As far as people that are out of that generation and what we're supposed to do with them, as well as what the generation is to do now today. So this is for everyone, those that are out of that generation, those that are in that generation, and those that are maybe moving up into that generation. Okay, so uh, everyone, we're going to do something a little bit different though this morning. I'm going to throw a lot at you as far as understanding students, what it looks like to get inside their brain, what's going through them, some misconceptions that we have, and some ways that we can better understand students. We're gonna go through some of that before we jump into our passage for today, okay? So bear with me through that. Um, I'm gonna throw some stuff at you, and then we're gonna dig into the stuff for today, okay? So back to what Sarah Jane was talking about. We can actually throw the quote that she had back up on the screen. She, this is what she said at the end of the clip there. She says, what's sometimes seen as the problem with adolescence, heightened risk taking, poor impulse controls, self-consciousness, shouldn't be stigmatized. It actually reflects changes in the brain that provide an excellent opportunity for education and social development. See that part there at the end? Middle school and high school, right, this time of their life is an excellent opportunity for education and social development. Start thinking about then what that means for your role in the next generation. She adds on to this with another quote at a different part of the, the clip. She said, this is a period of life that is particularly adaptable and malleable. It's a fantastic opportunity for learning and creativity. Okay, so if this is a great time for their life to learn and to be malleable and adaptable, what are we doing to be a part of that? Okay, start thinking through that. She backs all this up with her research and stuff. I think that's part of her job is, is researching the brain. Talks about their, their research on specifically adolescents and what's going on in their brain during this time of their life. And she mentions what's called the prefrontal cortex. Big word, barely said it properly myself. So everyone go ahead and grab your forehead, just like the front part. Yes, yes, I'm asking you to grab your forehead. Remember, I work with students, so that means audience participation, okay? So grab your forehead, right? This front part right here, okay? You can put your hands on now. That's the prefrontal cortex. This part right on the front of your brain, that's the prefrontal cortex. And it's this part of their brain, our brain, that's still developing during this adolescent time, okay? It's still developing, which is huge because it's responsible for a lot of key things. 
decision-making, how to interact with others, personality expression. It's also like the rule learning center, right? It tells us right from wrong, good from bad, things that are the same and different. This is still developing in their adolescent phase, right? And if maybe you start to think about it, you're like, you know what, that actually kind of makes sense as I think of the teenagers that I know, right? They always make the right decisions, or they don't know that that's wrong and they do it, right? That's still developing in their brain, right? They're pretty mysterious because we see their, their new weird habits that they pick up, or their odd choices, or their quirky behavior, changing attitudes, whatever it is, the list goes on that's impacted by this changing and developing of their brain, right? And that our typical response is sometimes we're a little scared by that. We're like, oh, they're just a mystery. They're, they're just weird, right? We kind of step back a little bit. If you're not sure how you'd respond to maybe a group of teenagers, well, think about it for a sec. If you see them off in the distance, what would you do? Would you just quickly turn around quietly and maybe walk out of the way? Would you think, oh, man, what trouble are they up to, right? Just a little group of them over there, right? Or would you just walk, shake your head and walk by and think, ah, oh, they're up to no good. There's no hope for them, right? Maybe you'd go join the group if you are one of them, right? What's your response when you see a group of teenagers? There's definitely a challenge when it, when it comes to them, for sure. There's challenges, there's hard parts. Uh, I'll be the first one to let you know, yeah, it's gonna be challenging dealing with teenagers, right? They have lots of problems, but we have problems as adults too. One of the bigger challenges today is the understanding of sexuality, entitlement, self-centeredness, just a lot of other problems with the teenage years during this time of, of our culture. Those are problems, yes, but those shouldn't scare us away. And my wife says this all the time. She says, most things that are of value aren't easy. Most things that are of value aren't easy. And this is one of those things that I'm constantly reminded, like, oh, man, this is hard, but there's some value to it, right? And that's why it's not easy. And so although it's challenging and there are some hard things about teenagers, I don't know where you guys are, everyone's at different places as far as how you interact with teenagers, but I want to run through some misconceptions that we have about the next generation that I think will help us understand them a little bit better and maybe debunk some myths that we thought about them. Okay, so I have a couple misconceptions we're going to run through here real quick. So the first one is sometimes we see the next generation as problems to be fixed, right? as problems to be solved. We think there's something wrong with them. We're like, okay, there's all this changing stuff they're figuring out. They're just wrong and I need to fix them, right? We're just like, okay, I'm going to be the fixer. They're the problem. Everything they do is wrong. I just need to go and fix them. Instead, we shouldn't see students as a problem to be solved, but rather a wonder and creation of God to behold and empower. When we see them as problems, we immediately change the mindset we have when we go to interact with them. We see them as everything they're doing is wrong, like all this developing, yeah, that's their fault, they're wrong. Right? Instead, they're still developing, they're still figuring this out, but that's how God created them. We should see them as God's creation that we can behold and then empower as well. This is our mindset I'm talking about when we approach the students. It makes a big difference and shifts it just a little bit in how we can invest in them. We should see them as opportunities, not as problems. Because as soon as we see them as opportunities, we can then see their potential. And that potential we can then empower and invest in and inspire that potential. Which leads to our next misconception. It's just a phase and it'll pass. 
Has anyone heard that phrase before? It's like, oh, it's just a phase, it's okay. Right? It's meant to be encouraging. Right? Maybe some of us have, have gripped onto that phrase as we've had some difficult kids. Right? But it, it's meant to be encouraging where you say, oh man, okay, the kid's really difficult, but it's okay. It's just a phase. They won't be this bad this long for very long. It's just a phase that'll eventually pass. Right? So it's supposed to be encouraging in that sense. The thing is, when we have this mindset, like, oh, okay, we'll just bunker down, we just hang on, they'll get better, it causes us to miss opportunities to invest and to inspire their potential. Having that mindset causes us to miss that. There's a book that actually talks about this exact concept. It's called, It's a Phase, So Don't Miss It. Right? It spins the phrase on its head. Right? That's the book, It's a Phase, So Don't Miss It. Right? Uh, it's a great resource if you work with kids or have kids, and it talks about really all the phases of a kid's life and how that's important. But we're specifically talking about the student's phase tonight, uh, or to this morning, sorry. So instead of, the message of that is instead of seeing it as just a phase that we should let pass, we should take advantage of this opportunity. A uh, quote by Kristen Ivey, one of the authors of the book, said that, Every phase is a time frame in a kid's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future, okay? Influence their future. We have to take advantage of this time where they're malleable, where they're adaptable, where they're learning and forming the foundation of their life. We need to take advantage of that and not say this, oh, they're just being really weird now, let's just wait till they're not weird anymore. No, let's take advantage of this small time that we have with them and that we can pour into them in that way, okay? So we know, those are the first two, we know, hey, all right, so I'm supposed to be invested in them. But maybe you're thinking, well, I've tried to be investing in them, I've tried to talk to them, they don't listen to me, they don't really value what I say. Well, that's our next misconception. They don't value my opinions and advice. Which this one's hard because they usually front that they don't care about it, right? They usually front, oh, that's stupid or oh, whatever. Or you tell them one thing and they do the exact thing you said not to do, right? It's hard to figure this one out and see this because they usually don't always live it out right away. But studies have shown that they actually listen and they hear it. And especially when they have their own kids or when they have the situation again in the future, they actually live out what you said and they hear you. But there's a couple of things wrong with this assumption that we come in with. First, it's kind of wrapped up in this phrase uh, you've probably heard before. It's kind of this buzzword with the new generation, next generation millennials. It's warm is the new cool. Warm is the new cool. And so here's what it means by that. So they don't necessarily care as much about you being all hip, talking to them how you want to talk to them and relating to them, always having a Snapchat and getting to relate to them. They don't necessarily care about that as much as they do a warm, genuine, authentic personality in person, just caring for them. That's why warm is the new cool, right? That's what they care about is the warm, genuineness, authenticity versus just being fake and trying to be cool for them, right? They care about the warm over the cool. And so with that, that means there's no age limit to investing in the next generation, right? There's no such thing as being too old, like, ah, oh, I'm not cool anymore, they're not gonna enjoy me. That's not true at all, right? We can all invest in the next generation. There's no age limit to that. Recent studies have actually found that this, this next generation and have really have this craving for wisdom. A craving for wisdom. Because the thing is, they have all the knowledge in the world, right? They can get out their phone, Google anything, and find out what they want to find out. Like, they have all this knowledge, but what they don't have is how to apply that knowledge, which is wisdom. 
Wisdom is applied knowledge. And so that's what they're craving. They have all this knowledge, like, well, I know all this stuff, but what does it mean for my life? What does it mean for me? How can I apply this to my life about this, all this stuff that I know? That's where we can come in. And we come in with the wisdom that we've learned over our lives and say, hey, you know what? Instead of telling them more things that they should be like, oh, do this, don't do this, like, hey, this is what it means for your life. Or, hey, this is how it's panned out in my life. Maybe it'll pan out the same way for you, I don't know. But hey, this is some wisdom. This is that applied knowledge. That's what they're craving, and that's what we can offer them. It may look like they, may, they don't value it, but they do. They are actually craving your advice and your, your time to pour into them. Okay, so I know that was a lot of stuff just kind of thrown at you about brains and, and things and what's not understanding students, but hopefully we're a little more on the same page as far as grasping this next generation uh, before we happen to our passage. Okay, so go ahead and open up to Psalm 78. We're going to start in verse 4. We're also going to have it up on the screen here if you guys would like to read along with that. Um, it's also on page 472 of the Black Bibles in the back if you guys want to grab one of those. So go ahead and turn there. This entire chapter, the psalmist is talking about the importance for the Israelites to teach and pour into the next generation to tell them about the law that God gave them and the wondrous works that God has done. Uh, and so after the passage we're going to read, it talks about how what happens when they don't, when they forget, and nothing good ends up happening because they do that. So let's go ahead and look at the first part of this Psalm 78, starting in verse 4. We will not hide them, them being the laws and the wonders of God, from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget the deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. So that's a different audience, a different time. Right? It's God specifically speaking to Israel saying, hey, you need to invest and teach the next generations of what I have done. But God's core message is still the same today. Invest in the next generation. Invest in the next generation. Teach them, remind them, show them who God is. Right? That's our role for the next generation is to invest in them. Well, why should we do that? What's the result? Well, we see it there at the end. The result is that they set their hope in God and not forget what he's done. It also keeps them from making the mistakes that we've made and keeping them from becoming stubborn, rebellious, and unloyal to God. So that's our role, is to invest in the next generation. And so to further understand this, we need to realize two things. First, that it's a command. God says, hey, you need to do this. You need to do this. He commands it because he knows it's what's best for them. Right? It's what's best for them because he knows that they have what God has them to say and he wants us to teach it to our children right? and what we've learned through that. And honestly, it's best for us as well as we learn to live a life following Jesus and what that looks like in our own life. We need to model that first and listen to those rules first and then teach them to our children as well. It's also a command, or it's critical is the second part. So it's a command and it's critical. And we see that with what Sarah Jane was talking about. Through these, these years of their life, it's critical to shaping the rest of their life. And the cool thing is, that's probably why God commands it partly. Because 
he knows and he created us and put our brain together and knows, hey, I made it so that they learn really well right now. So do this so that they learn this and create the foundation of their life. So it's critical because it's first so that they trust in God because that's our main goal is that they trust in Jesus and follow him. But it's also critical because they are developing during this phase. They're developing. What they experience in this time of brain development sets the stage for how their brain works for life. One of the scholars on this topic succinctly said it like this, how you use your brain in your young teenage years predicts how you will use it for the rest of your life. Some of you guys are like, oh man, what did I use my brain for in my <laughs> adolescent years, right? The thing is, you guys have chosen to be here, right? We, we've chosen to be a part of God's people. Like You guys are choosing to be here, no matter what your adolescence years have looked like. But this just shows the importance of us needing to invest in the next generation, the critical side of it. It's because their foundation is being formed. How they use their brain now is setting their habits, their trends on what they're going to do for the rest of their life. Whether or not we pour into them, someone is going to. Someone's going to pour into the next generation. The question is, are we going to be a part of that process? Are we going to be a part of building that foundation in their life? Who are they going to learn from? Right? They're developing those synapses in their brain where they create those habits that they're going to use to, to process life for the rest of their, their life here on earth. Are we helping that? Are we creating that foundation in them around Christ? Are we helping with them with that? Or are we just waiting for the phase to pass? It's critical because what happens when we don't invest in them? What happens in a student's life and they go through their formative years being told there is no God and have to grow up with their brain trying to figure out a life without God and without hope? Or what happens when a student goes through that and they're not clearly told what's right and wrong and that gets all mixed up and they're just not sure. They don't have a base of truth. What happens when they don't get told that key definitions of love, marriage, trust, grace, hope, key things that they can hold on to and look forward to, and they don't have those key definitions, what happens then? What happens when those people become key leaders or have their own kids and, and raise them in the same way? The result is what we see in the psalm, a culture that lives without God, stubborn, rebellious, disloyal, and unfaithful to God. So does that mean that they're lost forever if we don't reach them in their adolescent years? Of course not, right? Of course not. These are formative years for sure, but that doesn't mean they're lost forever. So even if we miss the opportunity or if we still invest in them and they just choose to go elsewhere, that's okay. We're still called to go after them and chase after them, invest in them just as God has done for us. No one is too far gone. No one is too far gone. So what happens in those years forms how they operate the rest of their life. We realize it's, it's a command and it is critical. So how are you affecting that? What are you doing to invest and make an impact in the next generation? You may be wondering, well, where do I even start? Right? Some of you may have been trying and you're like, nothing's working, right? What do we even do now at this step to invest in the next generation? And so that's what I want to talk about here in the next couple of minutes. I want to look at some examples and I want to talk about some practical application things to launch off from this morning, okay? So we're going to actually look at scripture examples first. So the cool thing is all throughout the Bible, we see examples of an older person, a mentor, investing in the next generation beneath them 
or even several generations beneath them as well. We have examples like Abraham and Isaac, Moses and Aaron, Eli and Samuel, which is unique because Samuel wasn't even his son, so he's investing outside of his family. Mordecai with Esther, right? And there's plenty of others that you see a positive example where they invest in the next generation and it makes a huge impact in their life and the one that's being invested in, but also in how they impact the rest of the world. That's the really cool part about investing in the next generation is, yeah, maybe we're investing in one person, but then everything and every person that they interact with, we also helped impact as well. So it's a multiplying effect by investing in just one person in the next generation. And we see that all throughout scripture. But we also see the flip side as well. We see many people that got invested in by the wrong people, okay? They never ended up doing anything good. And a major place that we see this is the kings of God's people. So God is the, the governor and the ruler of his people, the Israelites, but they kind of complained a little bit about, they wanted some earthly kings like the nations did around them. And so like, hey, can you give us some earthly kings? And so he does. And so we get people like Saul, David, Solomon, some big names, some kings of Israel. They did pretty good. But after that, the kingdom ended up splitting to Israel and Judah. And you had different kings rule both of those all the way down. And a lot of them were pretty bad kings. And the thing is, through many of those relationships of the kings, they were often persuaded and invested in by the wrong people. Wrong people like people from other nations, previous evil kings, or other people in the nation that just didn't believe in the one true God. They had poor investments, poor people that invested in them, the bad culture that invested in them, and that ended up them living and acting poorly as well. And so I want to take a quick second and look at one of those kings uh, today. And we can see a clear impact in their life that someone had by investing in them. And that person is King Joash. Who's King Joash, right? We don't really talk about King Joash a lot, right? He's a little bit more obscure of a king. His name almost is Josiah, if you switch around some of the letters and throw an I in there. But we're not going to talk about King Josiah today. And we're going to talk about King Joash, Okay. So, long story short, he had a wicked grandmother named Athalia, okay? And she killed all of his brothers so that there would be no royal line to the throne, right? If you guys are looking for some great stories, go into First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, some interesting stuff in there, okay? So, she does that, but thankfully, a godly couple took Joash and hid him away uh, to be safe from all this. And so, the couple was Jehoiada, who was a priest, and his wife, Jehosheba. Anyone looking for baby names? Those are some unique ones right there. So they hid him away until he was seven, and then they could present him to become king. And so that's what they did. So we're going to go ahead and look at that. You don't have to turn there. It's in 2 Kings 12, 1 through 2. We're going to throw it up real fast on the screen. In the seventh year of Jehu, Joash became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 40 years. His mother's name was Zebiah. She was from Beersheba. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Did you guys see that last sentence? Oh, sorry, we can go back to the other slide. Maybe. There we go. Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the years Jehoiada the priest instructed him. Right? So in the ASV it says he did what was right because Jehoiada instructed him. Right? So we see the impact Jehoiada, this godly person, investing in Joash, this young king, we see the impact that he made from just investing in him, right? We see that because he had this positive impact, he ended up changing the life of Joash, but also changing the life of all the people under his rule as well in the land. 
The cool thing about this story is we also see the flip side of what happens when Jehoiada isn't around to invest in him. And so that's our next verse, 2 Chronicles 24, uh, 17 through 18. You guys don't have to flip there. We can throw it up on the screen. So it says, After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Because of their guilt, God's anger came on Judah and Jerusalem. So unfortunately, Joash didn't listen to Jehoiada when he died. Instead, he had someone else start to invest in him. And who was that? Who was that in the passage? The officials from Judah. They came as ungodly people and invested in him to lead him in abandoning God and in starting to worship other idols. He ended up having a bad person to invest in him, a wrong investment. So through Joash's story, we see the importance of investing in the next generation. The importance of having the positive influence that leads them to better choices and to following Christ versus falling away from him and going away and choosing other things. So that's our goal today is that you guys leave with this encouragement to invest in the next generation to ultimately point them to Christ. Because as we had talked about earlier, there's other influences in their lives. There's other people and other things that want to invest in them. Our culture is investing in the next generation. Culture is redefining sexuality, respect, marriage, love, all these key things. They're investing in the next generation. But are we? Are you investing in the next generation? So that's an example from scripture. But we also have a bunch of examples of here at Grace Church where we invest in the next generation. And it starts with our, one of our values, the one there in the back. We are fully committed to kids and students. Right? That's one of our values that drives what we do here at Grace Church. That's why we have a lot of time, resources, and things just dedicated to students. We sacrifice to give them the priority, right? our kids and our students. That's one of the things that we do here. And that's something that you can do as well as we just sacrifice so that they can have the priority. Uh, we also don't see them as a spare part, which is another one. So the second one up here, we have no spare parts, which means everyone has a role to play. Everyone has something to do, right? That's why you see Haley up here singing. Olivia and Victor back there on the slides and the lights. That's why you see Jacob out in the parking lot. That's why you see Katie, Sandy, Sydney, and plenty of others right in the, in the kids area and other places serving as students, as the next generation. They're serving because we believe, hey, that's how we can invest in them, by empowering them. We see them as wonders to behold that have potential to be empowered. And our goal is to empower that potential that God created within them. That's our goal. And that's why we try and drive what we do with those different purposes. During the week, John, I mentioned we have, or during the school year, we have our Wednesday grace groups, our student grace groups for, for that age, where we pair them with an adult that wants to invest in them and other peers as well that can invest in each other. We have them help wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus and how they can invest in each other in that way. We also have service nights where we go serve locally at, at um, other ministry partners like Salvation Army uh, and Embrace Clinic and Care Center. We serve together, looking at what it means like to invest in other places. We also challenge them and encourage them to volunteer here on the weekend, to be a part of what God is doing at Grace Church. Those that I mentioned, that's just a few of them. There's plenty of others that are in the process to be involved, right? They're, they're wanting to be involved, and so they're getting through the process that we have to do that. Hey, those are just some examples of how we invest in those of the next generation. How can you invest in the next generation? 
What does it look like for you to invest and empower these next generation students? What does it look like for you? It's gonna be different for each one of us because we all have different backgrounds, different influences, different interactions with the next generation. Uh, but I have a couple of examples I wanna throw by you guys. Hopefully they'll start sparking your ideas, give you some things that you guys can do to invest in the next generation. So for adults, for those of us that aren't in the next generation, what does it look like for you to invest in them? First off is family. Family is the first place we need to invest and pour into. Whether that's our own kids, uh, or whether that's our, our grandkids, or whether that's someone else in our family that we need to invest into, who is that for you? Do you see their life as a, a phase that's an opportunity or something to struggle through? It takes intentionality with family. I've recently moved out of our house with all my brothers, and before it was like four of us brothers, and so we loved playing like spike ball and a bunch of other games that take four people, and so we'd just be like, oh, let's go play, right? And we'd just walk and go play when we all lived together. But now that I'm out of the house, right, it's like, oh, it takes intentionality to invest in them. It takes intentionality to invest in them and my family. What does it take for you to invest in your family? Next, I care. So I care is the program that Barberton City Schools uses to mentor the kids in the school. So this is a perfect opportunity right next door. The schools are literally a rock away for you to invest one-on-one -on -one with a student. That's what they do. They pair you with the student. They give you stuff to go through and you can just be real with them. You can be genuine, authentic, start that relationship. We pushed this a couple of weeks ago. So if you missed that, that's totally fine. A lot of us haven't even started yet since it's the summer. But if you're interested, we do have, a, I think, a handout back there that talks about that program if you're interested in using that to influence and invest in the next generation. Also hobbies, which may sound a little weird, but what do you love to do, right? Remember, the next generation isn't all about the biggest, most glamorous thing. They just care about warm, authentic you. So what do you love to do? What can you take them along to do? What can you teach them that you enjoy? Whether that's cooking, working out, or if you're just running errands, can you tag them along and see and show them and teach them different things that way and invest in them in that way? Finally, we have experiences. What have you gone through that you've learned and then can teach and invest in the next generation in that way? Unfortunately, the next generation these days are learning things that we used to learn when we were older. They're learning them earlier and earlier. They're getting influenced by things like drugs, alcohol, porn, lack of parental figures. Even adolescence is starting earlier and earlier. What they don't have is the wisdom that you guys have, the experience that you guys have. How can you guys pour into them in that way? How can you invest? that way. But ultimately, guys, remember, you don't have to be everything to them. You're not going to be the person that gives them all the life advice or giving them all the coolest things that they want. Right? That's not who you're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be everything to them. You're just supposed to be you. And that's all they want. Warm, authentic, genuine you. And many of you are already investing in people, investing in the next generation, whether it's teachers, your kids, whatever it is. Maybe you're a little discouraged. Maybe you're challenged. Like, man, I'm doing this, but it's not working, right? I would encourage you to keep going. Keep doing what you're doing because with investment, it means there's risk. Yeah. There's gonna be risk, there's challenging. That's what investment means. But there's also reward. There's a reward as well for your investment. So keep doing what you're doing. I encourage you to keep chasing after that. I also wanna take a second and talk directly to students. There are several of you guys in the room. I wanna to talk to you guys or if you're listening online as well. This is a message about you as well as a message to you. And I want to talk to you guys and encourage you to do three things. Look up, spread out, and invest down. Look up, spread out, and invest down.
So first, look up. Do you have a mentor in your life? Someone that's investing in you? Sometimes we may have someone that's trying, we're just not letting them invest in us. Are we letting them invest in us? It's also part of our responsibility to listen to them and to follow them and what they say and what they guide us to do as they follow Christ. If you guys need help with that, that's what we're here for as well. Mark your connection card, talk to me, it's fine. We'll help you get plugged in. But who in your life are you looking up to? Who's your mentor? Who's your investor? Secondly, spread out. You can also invest in your generation now. Are you encouraging your fellow peers to look up to the next YouTube star? Or are you encouraging them to look up to a Christian person, godly people that can help form your foundation around Christ? Encourage them to do that. You can start that now. Spread out. And finally, invest down. You guys can also invest in the next generation below you as well. You can start that now. Siblings are a great place to start. Siblings are a great place to do that with. You guys are the next generation. You look at me, look at Tyler. He runs our Power Kids ministry. David as well, he's on the drums today, but he leads worship as well. You guys are going to be here in three, five years. That's not that long. You guys are going to be up here. You are the next generation to be leading. What are you doing now to positively affect your future? What decisions are you making that impact that? Even the little ones. So I challenge you guys, look up, spread out, and invest down. So everyone, let's imagine what it would look like in the next generation if we all invested everything we have into them. What would the leaders look like? What would our church look like if we all invested into the next generation in that way? It's a challenge. There's risk. Yeah, that's investment. But it's also worth it. God commands us to do it. It's critical that we do it during this phase of their life as well. Speaking of next generation, I want to invite Caleb up here in the the band. Um, This is actually a pretty cool story. Caleb is going to Mexico for two months next week. And he just graduated high school. And so he was a part of that next generation. And he's already going back to pour into that next generation. He's going as a counselor and a leader to lead the middle school and the high school kids going on the trip, which is awesome. So the fact that he's already going to do that and be this example of investing in the next generation on this trip is awesome. And he's also not a spare part. He's playing on the keys as well. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but he's going to be playing on the keys here in a moment. And so he's not a spare part. So it's cool to see this was what we're talking about in Caleb here today. And so I want to pray for him to commission him out as they leave next, uh, next week. And then I'll pray for our service today. Okay, so let's pray.